Welcome back to Of Muggles and Mudbloods, a podcast where I, Tati Wickman, this week, together with Elsa Smedberg from the Swedish Quidditch Association, talk about Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. This week, of course, as we have said before, is not going to be focusing on a specific chapter. We are talking about the sport Quidditch, both in the wizarding and in our very much muggle world, unfortunately. Without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Elsa. Thank you. So great to have, have actually be able to be here and talk to you guys. Because, like, if there's one thing I love, it's Quidditch. Um, I don't know. I've been playing it for so long. I just like started counting the years and realized that. Oh wow. Okay, how long have you been playing Quidditch then? Uh, so I started at the summer of sixteen. Uh, yeah. so I met uh like uh, Hugo who started the. Uh, Guthmer Griffin's team, so the only team on the West Coast, through a mutual friend in high school. Like, met him at a party and small talk, and then eventually, as he always does, he started talking about Quidditch. And me growing up watching Harry Potter and then like reading the books and like having, you know, experiencing the whole Harry Potter magical world uh, and fell in love with it, naturally got really hooked. Like, wait, wait, wait there's Quidditch in real life. And he took me to a practice like two weeks after I read the whole rule book. It's like 250 pages. And from that day on, I've always loved Quidditch. Like it's so fun. So it's 250 pages. How many fouls are there in Muggle Quidditch? Oh. Are you going by the wizarding rule book? Um, no, so there's like the International Quidditch Association, IQA comes out with a new rule book every two years. So it's mainly focused on uh, the safety of the players. So of course, there's a lot of rules uh, that are similar to the traditional game. Uh, but since you're on the ground and not in the air, uh, there's different complications and the complications uh, of tackles and uh, in a way, different physical contact. And since we can't really grow up bones, that fast you got to take care of the players so yeah Skelegro um we spoke about wizarding medical systems and we'll probably get back to that um discussion later on in the in the podcast um or in later episodes but Skelegro would be a fantastic thing um <laughs> oh yeah as long as we don't have a professor um Lockhart fucking things up <laughs> um because that man is uh yeah a burning hot mess and a scourge to all things Ravenclaw. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Low context. We are both Ravenclaws here in this, in this podcast episode. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Yay, nerds. Um, or, well, everyone listening to this podcast is definitely a nerd regardless of house. Yeah, no judgment here. No Come judgment on. here. We are talking about competitive Quidditch after all. Yeah, you, you can't really take yourself that seriously uh, when playing Quidditch. Like, I think it's uh, one of the most commonly questions is, uh, first of all, how do you fly? You always got to respond in a slightly, like, you, you can't take yourself too seriously uh, if you're going to talk about playing Quidditch, uh, even though it is a very competitive sport. We always refer to like, oh, well, like, we're getting there. Science, science hasn't really picked it up yet. Uh, we need more wizards in the science labs, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, you know. Gen Z is evolving. And then after, like, the second most asked question is basically, so what do you do about the brooms? 
in like the early stages of like Quidditch developing, people had actual like Nimbus 2000s and like their own replicas and they sat down for hours and made their own brooms. Uh, but in today's like professional Quidditch, we use like PVC pipes. It looks like, sure, you wouldn't perhaps think that it's Quidditch just seeing people running around, but then you realize that, oh, there's a broom there. I guess some people are like discouraged by it since you actually run around with a stick between your legs, but it's such an iconic part of the game. And I think like without it, it wouldn't like, it adds, since it adds such a, another difficulty to the game, without it, I don't think it would be as fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it would like, since you can't really run the same way, I don't think uh, some teams would be as OP uh, I think it puts people more at like the same level in a way, even though there are incredible teams and some teams that are just starters, but that's the same thing in like old high school sports. Yeah. So I'd say an interesting thing, uh, observation, I feel that because last week I, I expressed some mild frustration at the, the fact that you're allowed to bring your own brooms to Hogwarts Quidditch matches, um, which means mm. that the the Weasley twins are flying around maybe like a clean sweep seven or clean mm. sweep six and it's like an outdated model and Harry's on a Nimbus. Yeah. <laughs> um like that's not exactly good for the the quality of the match in which if you can buy an entire team Nimbus 2001s like the 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 Malfoys did, it's mm. no longer a fair match. And no. Yeah, so I like actually like since everyone uses the same PVC pipes, like they're all the same size, same length. Uh, you put everyone on the same level, uh, and even though you might be like a really good runner, you might be like a really big muscular person who's like really good at like taking people down and tackles. Uh, since you all have to handle the broom, you're all like put on the same level from mm. the starting point, uh, and then you evolve into like learning how to like move around with the broom and like tackle and catch and all of that. Um, and I think it really adds just a fun aspect to the game. Uh, it's way more interactive since the broom is part of you. If you get like yeah. hit by a bludger on your broom, you're still beat. So it's like an extension of yourself. Okay. So what, how does the bludger work then? Oh, uh, so like the bludgers are basically like dodgeballs. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, three bludgers, uh, and uh, since there are four beaters, two beaters on each team, uh, one team could have bludger control. Uh, so the bludgers mainly work as a defense uh, mechanism, so uh, use that to reset the other players. Uh, so once you get beat, uh, you have to dismount your broom, uh, hold it uh, away from your legs, run back to your hoops, touch them, and then you can get on and get back into the game. So it's really great for like stopping attacks. Um, but since as a beater, you can beat everyone. Uh, you don't only have to beat the chasers uh, who are scoring, you can also beat the beaters. Uh, so you can like break down their own defense system as well. Uh, so it's a whole lot of dynamic of you interacting with your partner beater. So you can like gain bludger control. Uh, and both stopping attacks and stopping the beaters. And of course, once the seekers are on pitch and the snitch is on pitch, uh, you put a lot of focus 
on that game as well. So it's a lot of like dynamics and running around and like figuring out who should I stop, who should I interact with. But I think the bludgers, you, you don't use the actual like sticks to throw them at. It's uh, like larger dodgeballs. You can get hit everywhere. So like it doesn't matter if you get hit in the face. A face beat is always a face beat. It's kind of nice. <laughs> It's not nice getting face beat, but you know, like landing a nice face beat, it just hits different. Mm. See, the the issue with this podcast is some things just sound wrong when we say them. <laughs> so we have a question from Jenny from the Three Broom Chicks podcast about offensive and defensive strategies when it comes to Quidditch. We have, of course, the the Japanese Quidditch team having their hurricane maneuver, but we have some discussion now about how you can use your beaters to um, to eliminate anyone basically in the, in the in play, which is fantastic. So, so what what are some other like offensive strategies or defensive strategies you can do to either shore up your bets against a very effective beater team on the other side, or to well win? Yeah. Yeah, so th there's a lot of different strategies since Quidditch has been around for quite some time, uh, and uh, as with all sports, uh, even though we're nerds, uh, there are quite a few competitive people and people who have worked strategy for a long time. So there's a lot of like uh, strategy books uh, and weekly releases of like exercises and drills they can do. Uh, so there's a lot of things. Um, so apart from like really using your beaters, uh, since the beaters can work as like a wall, protect your chasers from other beaters. There's also like the whole positioning of yourself. Um, since it is a physical foot sport, uh, it has pr pretty much the same tackling rules as rugby. You are very welcome to initiate contact. Uh, you can only initiate contact with the ball carrier. Um, and you can only tackle within positions. Uh, so chasers and keepers can only tackle chasers and keepers. Beaters can only tackle beaters. Seekers can only tackle seekers. But there's a lot of like positioning. There's something called walling, meaning that you interact with the person who's, uh, if you're a ball carrier and you have offensive chaser coming at you, one of your teammates can like step on in in front of you to protect you and deflect uh, the oncoming chaser. So we like we have a lot of drills and it's a lot about uh, movement since you can pass backwards, forwards, sideways. So there's a lot of uh, strategy where you like actually get the snitch pitch. Uh, we get a piece of paper, draw it out uh, and mark it with like markers and move the players around. So like there's both. It's kind of like us doing hockey strategy in a way. So as in all sports, it's positioning. Uh, you have the stronger runners who might be really good at like full, running full force uh, into like other teams area to try to catch a ball but there's the uh maybe stronger heavier players who might be better at like catching the oncoming team uh once they come to your actual yeah. goal area um so apart from having good tactics you also need well-rounded players uh, of different shapes and sizes um to communicate with each other the main thing in Quidditch is always communication. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, different code names that you can scream out as a signal of Getting let's do this here. attack. Yeah, 
major yeah. football vibes. Yeah, lots of strategy, lots of different team positions. That's a great set of, yeah, I think that's um, in any team sport, you need to have got good communication. I guess Quidditch is the same because you do have so many different roles. And I'm glad to see that it's not much um, keeper on keeper tackling action. That's That's good to hear. Yeah, the keeper should not be leaving, even if Oliver Wood would much, very much like to do so. And the Slytherin uh, keeper, whatever his name was, no, it was Flint. It was Marcus Flint, chaser oh. that was using the beater stick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shame big, big no, no. Yeah. Shame on you. See, that's one thing about that. But the movie that kind of irritates me is how like these Slytherins are portrayed so negatively. Like yeah, you know, like. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, I saw this Facebook post like the other day about like if uh, J.K. Rowling didn't hate Slytherins that much, uh, Fred and George would probably be like Slytherins. Like they have the yeah. innovativeness, they have the adventurous streets. Like they are definitely cunning and um, have a fair deal of ambition, even if it means starting a joke shop. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's got dreams. <laughs> Everyone's got dreams, and in their case, it's jokes and <laughs> um, portable swamps, which are great. And it's the thing that's going to come up a fair deal in the podcast, I think, um, over the next little while. But I, I really like that portable swamp and the fact that Flitwick and McGonagall re refuse to help Umbridge remove it um, anyway. <laughs> but this is something I really like about Harry Potter. It's like these this weird little nuggets of, of things. I just saw a friend that was selling his, like, he, he has, he, he had a, I guess it's a ferret, and he has a, his ferret had kids. And his oh, so little baby ferrets? A, his ferret had a baby white one, and I am so tempted. Because you know what you'd call a white baby ferret, right? Oh, I'd say it. Malfoy! Ah! Yeah! No, um, so anyway, <laughs> back to the theme of the podcast. Um, yeah. Quidditch! <laughs> Quidditch! Yay! So we have another question here from, again, the three broom chicks about mm -hmm. the, the issues around tournaments and how you get teams and things like that. So when it comes to like the international tournaments, how, how do you select the teams that attend um, the world championships or I guess there might be a European championships for Quidditch? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so there's uh, a lot of different teams, uh, a lot of different countries. Like Quidditch is really worldwide. Uh, it's pretty much on every continent in the world. I think it's incredible. Like the entire community is so nice and it's so vast. And like the fact that Harry Potter and Quidditch has moved around the entire world is incredible. Uh, so there's a lot of different tournaments that the World Cup uh, should it it should have taken place this year, uh, 2020, in the U.S., uh, but due to COVID, uh, they've been forced to move it and postpone it a year. Uh, but there's, apart from the World Cup, there's also uh, the European Games, the European Quidditch Cup. The European Quidditch Cup is more like Champions League. And there's, there's like the Nordic Championship. There's a lot of like regional uh, different competitions. So in Sweden, uh, we have a... Uh, national qualifier uh, and that's for the European Quidditch Cup uh, and then there's also a national team uh, and it's the national team that attends the European Games and the World Cup um, yeah. and uh, Sweden has let's see uh, four different teams 
they are currently active. Uh, so they attend the nationals uh, and there's uh, players from all four teams that uh, attend or rather join uh, the national team. So there are qualifiers. They usually take, take, uh, take place in one or two days, but it's mainly like a tournament and people, the ones that are skillful, there are enthusiastic about the sport and who like are good team players, they get qualified. Yeah. Because we on a, on a well-rounded team with a lot of like good fun. Yeah. And you remember the Gothenburg Griffins. We have the, the last year's championships with the VA Dollar Winged Doze, I believe it was. You are a champion yeah. from 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is correct. I should have actually played the Nationals in 2019 uh, with a newly founded team, uh, Kalsta, but I injured myself, so I broke my wrist uh, and therefore couldn't compete. Uh, but it's been quite a close tie uh, between the different teams. Uh, but uh, I won with the team Gothenburg Griffins in 2017, and it was incredible. But we had really bad weather uh, the day before, so we had immense amounts of rain. Uh, and since we play on grass, uh, it was really, really muddy. So we actually had to move the pitch for the final because it was so slippery that everyone would have just fallen and broken something. Like, we had enough injuries already. Where's the skeleton when you need it? <sighs> damn yeah. it. See, this is the thing, you know, Hagrid's right. If they reveal themselves, we would just want a bunch of shit. We want Skelegro. <laughs> um, yeah. And we want, like, wizard run repair shops everywhere because, you know, you could mm. get any incompetent wizard ever and he'd be a millionaire because he'd be going, repair and things would be <laughs> fine again. Um, oh, so many, like, car dealerships and workshops that would just go bankrupt, like... Oh, yeah. Entire <laughs> industry. Um you know, bye bye root of root of drug. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. I have that's a it's a, this is a tax um, subsidy that is given to people that choose to renovate or repair things. So if you have a broken dishwasher or a pair of shoes that need resoling, um, there's less tax on that than buying a new pair of shoes or buying a di new dishwasher. Um, we're both Swedish, that's why I mentioned the thing. Yay for sensible green politics. Um, this yeah, podcast very is progressive, nice. and we are trying to do So, ha, <laughs> suck on that, JK. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of trans inclusiveness, could we yeah. please talk about, uh, in regards to the Quidditch community, uh, I think one of the main points uh, that I think makes the community so great is, apart from the fact that we're all Harry Potter nerds, or like most of the people at least, uh, it's also a very gender-inclusive sport. So. Actually, one of the main uh, things about when setting up a team is the fact that uh, there's the gender rule, uh, meaning that uh, a tops of four people on your team uh, of the same gender identity uh, mm -hmm. can be on pitch at the same time, meaning that you really need a well-rounded team. Uh, and therefore, having non-binary or uh, trans players is a major like benefit in a way. First of all, all people are great uh, and I really love all my teammates and all my players but one of our players is non-binary uh, and they're so great to have on pitch because like of course you want to have like the best team you can have but like not having to worry about the gender rule can sometimes be kind of nice since like you want to give people the breaks they need since a, it's a very intense sport and so, uh, you 
it's really explosive in a way since you have to like it's always offense defense and running from one part of the pitch to the other all the time so you really need the breaks and having non-binary players um it keeps up the balance of the gender role so like i think it's really really nice so jk might be a turf but quidditch and the harry potter community is inclusive so if any if any trans athletes are out there you know the swimming or the running um, sports got you down because they're measuring hormones or whatever it is we've got you quidditch is your place we might not be as big as they are but we join us yes. um i would probably have joined a team if there was one in stockholm but um mm. that's that's the issue and now i have um i'm getting my harry potter obsession uh released through a podcast format instead which is- well you know like uh, even like uh, just talking about the sport is like it can open up for starting a team in Stockholm again so like I don't really think that's an issue like all you need no. is some people and a ball pisces and uh pvc pipes um so I have actually a different question here and that is so from the, what I've seen is a lot of the teams are based on college campuses is that is that the trend, trend like you've got the teams at universities because you've got the young people there that have the nerdiness required to play competitive Quidditch? Uh, yeah, so uh, the first team ever started uh, was at a college campus. And a lot of the teams, especially in the US, are based around like college campus areas uh, and uh, college cities. Uh, and of course, there's the theme also going around in Sweden. Like there's uh, some of the bigger teams are around Uppsala, uh, Karlstad has some few like universities and uh, Gothenburg and it's very common mainly because it's a very like college-ish sport if you look around the world it's even more common especially like just going to across the border to Norway or Denmark uh, there's a lot of benefits to starting it at a college since you can get like a lot of fini- financial support as well as like uh, media uh and support from people who are nerdy uh who probably read the harry potter books and maybe are just looking out for something new to try uh so i think it's great uh but uh one of the things is that in gothenburg especially our team we're not connected to like a college campus so we have some university kids uh but we actually uh and it's both fun uh, and sometimes a bit annoying, but we're mainly like high schoolers. Uh, so we've uh, grabbed the younger nerds uh, and try to keep them in the team so they can like grow up uh, within the Quidditch community. So it's really nice, but that means they were also a bit smaller. Uh, so in comparison, Uh-oh. yeah, Gotta so like out. in comparison to like uh, some of the Danish teams, they were really, really small and they're like quite a bit older. Uh, so we're in a way quicker. Uh, but we're maybe not as um, physical in a way. Mm. You've got a uh, bit of year one Harry vibes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it, it's really nice since uh, I love the fact that you can gather around something and be of different ages, even though a lot of people are around like university age. Uh, we're all united by the love of Quidditch and Harry Potter. So yeah, it, it's just nice. It's a good time. <laughs> I think the yeah, I think that the the love of Harry Potter is definitely something that has united a lot of people. Um, 
judging by the number of Harry Potter fan content being generated, even if I don't like Dreary, um, I still appreciate <laughs> some of the posts. Um, and I think there's actually, there's actually some research about how Harry Potter fans are less accepting of discrimination and racial um, segregation and that kind of stuff because of the the undertones of Harry Potter, for example, which is fantastic. Love yes. that. Like, Incredible. We're like, hmm, hmm, you sound like a death eater. <laughs> it's like your, your anti-Muslim rhetoric or your anti-African-American um, or Black rhetoric or your anti-trans rhetoric sounds like you're being a death eater. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so that's just, you know, we... We definitely have that vibe. You're literally better people. Ha ha. Ha ha. You are a better person for listening to the podcast. So, you know, you're a Harry Potter fan. Ta-da. Congratulations. Ah. Um, anyway, we're getting a bit off track here. <laughs> and just like complimenting our listeners because we're Harry Potter fans. This is a great idea. Um, how to gain listeners 101. Ha ha. Trickstery. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. I, I'm sure you have more questions about Quidditch here. The most important subject that we've almost missed, and that is <laughs> the golden snitch. Because we talked about this before we started recording, but I think it's important for us to get this out here so we can you know, share with everyone that's listening. What is the golden snitch in Muggle Quidditch? Okay, so the golden switch in uh, snitch, not switch. Uh, sometimes it can work as a switch though. Uh, but the snitch, uh, it's a person uh, dressed in either entirely yellow or entirely gold. The person does not have a broom. Uh, however, the actual catching of the snitch is uh, on the back of the person's shorts. There's a sock with a tennis ball inside. So you have to catch the actual sock. <laughs> uh, and the snitch is uh, in a way a bit OP. Uh, since the snitch can always initiate contact with the seekers, however, the seekers cannot initiate contact with the snitch. Essentially, the snitch can throw around the seekers however much they like, uh, but the seekers are only uh, allowed to actually attempt to catch the ball. <laughs> so it's a lot of tossing and turning, a lot of uh, being thrown on the ground, having your uh, actual broom taken, and then you have to run back to hoops. Uh, and it looks kind of funny, and it is really funny, and it's, uh, I think it's even more fun, uh, than having, like, a ball flown around by a drone or something, uh, since the snitches all have their different, like, uh, personalities and different styles, uh, some go, it's always starts off with a little bit of running around, since, you know, the snitch is a movable person. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it always ends with some form of acrobatics and uh, wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Um, I remember reading that uh, they you you had to you had to uh, um, early on in the Quidditch um, uh, Muggle Quidditch versions. You had to actually write in rules saying that the snitch has to remain within a certain area of the game itself. Oh yeah, there were, there were some incidents. Um, there's been a lot of snitches running up in trees. 
Uh, I remember, uh, especially when it started off on campuses, uh, some snitches just running around campus, locking themselves into like bathrooms uh, and refusing to come out. Uh, <laughs> and like, sure, that's really creative, but since you can't end the game until the snitch is actually caught, um, it adds quite a level of difficulty. <laughs> yeah, so that, and how long are, you know, Muggle Quidditch games generally? Uh, so, uh, the snitch is released on pitch after 17 minutes, uh, but the seekers are uh, actually allowed to start catching the snitch uh, at 18 minutes. Uh, so it's anything in between like 18 minutes and like 10 seconds uh, up to like 45 minutes, okay. uh, uh, generally speaking. Uh, but that's mainly because uh, once the snitch is on pitch, uh, first it's only like forced to uh, ring within the boundaries of the uh, actual pitch. Uh, but as uh, the seekers go on and try to catch a snitch, and it, when, if they continuously fail, uh, after the uh, set amount uh, of time period, uh, they start adding in like handicaps. So essentially the snitch uh, has to be forced to stay in one area, then they can only defend themselves with one arm, and then they can't defend themselves with any arms. Uh, so like, it, it, sometimes you got to help the seekers out. Um, yeah, if the snitch is just too good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I almost wanted to say, you know, in Soviet Harry Potter, the snitch catches you. Um, <laughs> oh, God, because there's some of those jokes where, like, you know, in Soviet, in Soviet Russia, uh, boat floats you, whatever it is, you know, and in this, yeah. in, in Muggle um, Quidditch, the, the snitch is the, the bigger threat than the, the seeker, which is, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, oh God, I'm glad that the games don't take a couple of days. Um, Quidditch, mm. of course, has an issue with that. I think the the longest recorded game in, in Wizard Quidditch is a couple of weeks at least. Yeah, probably. Uh, um, yeah. Which, which I want to mention here is yeah, actually the the comparison between the fucking English. Um, no offense to any English fans we have. Um, <laughs> you have a thing with inventing really stupid sports. Uh, you have Quidditch, and now you you also have cricket. The longest cricket match in the world is nine days. So why don't you like let somebody else write the rules for your games, like the Indians did for uh, T10 Quidditch, which takes no more than a day, only takes a couple really? hours. Maybe T10 uh, Cricket? Sorry, yeah, T10 Cricket. I'm, I'm thinking too much Quidditch right now. Anyway, T10 mm. Cricket, you know, only takes a couple hours. Much better than your nine days. Um, <laughs> so let somebody else rewrite your rules, please. Um, the, quit, the snitch should not end the game. Set a time limit, please. And don't make the snitch 150 points. Uh, yeah, the fact that, like, uh, sure, it, it's fun. Uh, it adds a sense of, um, I don't know, it, it's a bit more, uh, how do I say it? Like, I understand why JK would actually write that, Rowling would write that, uh, simply because it's so dumb. Uh, and it really, like, uh, I guess it offends a lot of sports nerds uh, that in the books it's like, oh, well, all the work you did, like, it doesn't matter because you'll actually catch the snitch and that makes, like, a whole difference. 
Uh, in the Muggle version, uh, it's only worth 30 points. <sighs> so much easier, and it actually uh, puts focus on the gameplay before and during the actual snitch play. Since when the snitch is on pitch, there's actually, uh, even though you catch the snitch, you might even lose. Uh, so there's a lot of tactics, and like it's not always like trying to catch a snitch as fast as it gets on pitch. Uh, sometimes you have to do like defensive uh, seeking, um, meaning that you're mainly just targeting the other team seeker uh, to make them not be able to catch a snitch so that your own team can score enough goals for it to make sense you actually catch a snitch. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a pretty interesting, interesting um, aspect of the game. I guess like, in Harry Potter world, uh, like you would be able to actually catch the snitch before the other team scores 15 goals. But like in Muggle Quidditch, um, like scoring 15 goals, that wouldn't be impossible. Uh, when our team went to the European uh, Quidditch Cup, uh, we faced off some really well-rounded teams with a lot of like substitute players. Uh, and we had one substitute player, uh, and they were really well-rounded team. So uh, I think that you can definitely like score twenty goals if you just have enough good enough strategy. And then like the snitch being worth one hundred fifty points uh, wouldn't even help you out. So yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, I remember I remember they they mentioned the first book. I think it's the the first match of the season that um, they actually mentioned there being alternates they, they mentioned them having substitutes in the in quidditch and that's something we never see again which is kind of frustrating because it's one of the things we're going to go into this podcast later on is demographics uh, mm-hmm. how big is a wizarding population and to have like an alternate like a 14 person team for each house in quidditch would mean you have you have a much bigger school where everyone's playing mm-hmm. so we can go into that. We were, we're working on a a long special um, coming out at the end of the season to like go into the demographics of how how many are there. Who's hiding in the closets? Come out. Exactly. Um, Fluffy is hiding in the closets. Um, ha ha ha! Uh, don't open that one because Fluffy is well. Uh, Fluffy. <laughs> Speaking of great name choices, thank you, Ruby's Hagrid. Um, also a fantastic character, but where was it, where was it going with this? Let's see. Yeah, so we um, one of the aspects we're going going to go into is the number of national and regional Quidditch teams in the UK, um, in the Wizarding World. That is, we have about seventeen, I believe it is, uh, four national teams. We have England, Scotland, Ireland, and the Welsh team, and of course thirteen um, unlucky regional teams, including the Hollyhead Harpies, and you know. A bunch of others, um, which you know get, gets us an interesting thing to go into later on of how large of a fan base you need to have to sustain a Quidditch team, um, which I hope would be a decent one to sustain a professional Quidditch team because Ginny is a professional chaser, yeah. chaser. <laughs> and of course, let's end off with one last question, and and that is, what is your position? Uh, I play as a beater mainly. Uh, Mainly because I think it's uh, 
a lot more fun than scoring goals. Like, sure, scoring goals is uh, really fun, but I prefer being the annoying little prick that just keeps on ruining all your offenses uh, and doing it with a smile. <laughs> a true Weasley. Um, <laughs> fantastic. No, I think that the the beater is a, a great position, and I'm sure you're going to need that position to be yours for a long time, seeing that you are studying law at the University of Lund in southern Sweden. So... <laughs> you know, you have a long day of studying and then you get to take out your aggression on your teacher by whacking dodgeballs at unsuspecting seekers. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much Elsa, for joining us. It's been thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I hope everyone appreciates the insights into actual Quidditch as much as I have because I, I I love the fact I love it I love well I love everything but I I really do <laughs> I love the the snitch the snitch is amazing it's a great idea. We're gonna be back next week with the next chapter of Harry Potter and the Plot for Stones. So tune in for that. 